Um, we'll begin in chapter 2. Um, for the uh, sake of time this morning, I'm not going to read all these verses. We've read them the last, I know it last two weeks, maybe the last three weeks, and at least portions of them. I know for two weeks we've read them, every one. <clears throat> one of the patterns that you'll see in Scripture is that Jesus would talk about things in his earthly ministry in the four Gospels, and then we would see those things expounded upon in the epistles, letters. That you know, basically, we're talking about everything from uh, you know the, the book of Romans through the book of Revelation. Not that these things weren't mentioned in Acts as well, but I'm talking about where we really find these things being elaborated upon and expounded upon. I've been telling you for years, and I'll remind you again this morning, let Scripture interpret Scripture. Let the Bible interpret itself, okay? So I'll give you a classic example of this. Um, we see that in the, in the Garden of Eden, that Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was rejected. And there are theory after theory after theory as to why that was the case. The most popular theory is because God only accepts a blood offering or a blood sacrifice. And perhaps you've heard that. My brother, my sister, that's not true. We see all throughout the Old Testament where grain offerings and fruit offerings and first fruit offerings were brought to the Lord as, as an honor uh, to him. And he received those. But if you let the Bible tell you why God didn't uh, accept it, you'll find the answer in Hebrews. In Hebrews, we see that Abel's offering was one of excellence, where Cain's was his second best. In other words, he didn't honor God with, with the best of his fruit. And so when we say let the Bible interpret the Bible, so many people get in trouble coming up with theories without checking them against other places and other areas in the Bible where the same subject is, is talked about. And this is the case uh, so many times, sad to say, with things that Jesus said to us. Uh, we come up with all of these ideas and theories without really searching other parts of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because remember, Jesus was, was, a, was a bridge between them two. He came to fulfill the old and then uh, establish the new. So when Jesus speaks on things like the end times, we see that the Holy Spirit is going to uh, build upon that. Um, let me give you one more uh, illustration of this. Um, if you remember, Jesus told his disciples um, right before his crucifixion, he said, I still have so many more things to tell you, but you're not able to bear them now. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth the spirit of truth. So Jesus even informed his disciples and of course by default me and you that he's simply introducing some things that more, uh, more to come so to speak, more will come so to speak on these things. So when Jesus tells us in Matthew 24 uh, about what will be happening uh, as time draws to a close at least in this uh, era in, in, in this season, if you will, uh, of God's design for this, this planet, that he certainly gave us uh, some very Im, Im, important uh, signs and instructions to go with them. But we also see that 
where these things are mentioned in other places in the New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit emphasizing once again the instructions and then expounding upon the things that Jesus... When I say introduced, that may be too weak of a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. The things that Jesus introduced to us um, in, in His earthly uh, teachings and ministry. And so again, let me remind you the instructions. We can't hear them uh, enough, right? He told us to not let ourselves be deceived and to not let ourselves be confused, not let our heart be troubled. Uh, and a troubled heart is, is, is troubled because of confusion, not knowing. Um, and, and, and then he said, don't be deceived. And so we've looked at so many different places in the New Testament where these things are expounded upon, but we find somewhere tucked in all of that these same instructions. And that, once again, is the case here in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And um, so let's just, I'll read a few verses of this. There's some things I really want to emphasize before we uh, are, are done this morning. But let's, um, let's just begin at verse number one. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. All right? So he's... He's emphasizing here the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what we see in Scripture is that Jesus came as the Messiah through the womb of the Virgin Mary. Okay? Then we also know that He's going to come and He's going to receive the church back to Himself. And when He ascended to the throne of the universe with His disciples there witnessing Him uh, literally... Um, you know, taking off from this earth and ascending back up into the heavens. If you remember, they were there staring uh, up at, at where they last saw Jesus in the clouds, and an angel appeared to them and said, why, why are you standing here, you know, staring up into the clouds? Angels always have the most direct and simplistic instructions. Remember when they came to the tomb looking for Jesus' dead body, and they, and they asked this question. They said, why are you seeking the living among the dead? You're looking for a dead man, and I guess a graveyard would be the best, best place to look for one, but he's not dead. You're not going to find a dead Jesus here because Jesus isn't dead, right? And so again, angels kind of prodding them onto what's next. They're like, why, why are you standing here staring at the sky? Uh, this same Jesus that just left here in one day is, is going to come back in like manner. In other words, he's going to appear in the clouds. So when he says here concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, he is specifying which return of Jesus or coming of the Lord uh, he's referring to. And this is when Jesus appears in the clouds and the church is raptured. And we don't find that word rapture in the King James, New King James Bible, but here we see our gathering together to him because remember what the angel said when he comes that... that that he's going to gather us back to himself. You, you can, again, take these things back into what Jesus taught us and told us. Remember John 17. He said, Father, I so long for the day when they gather together uh, with me before your throne and that all of those who love me here on the earth are, and have witnessed my glory here on the earth will be able to witness my glory sitting next to you in heaven. And so we know that this, again, was something that Jesus talked about. He talked about his return. He talked about coming for those that belong to him. He talked about, uh, uh, you know, don't let your heart be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. In my Father's house are many rooms, is what that word manse literally means. In my Father's house are many rooms, right? I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I will come back and what? I will come back and get you and, and bring you back with me, right? All of the, we, we could go on and on with this. But the key thing here is he's referring to the coming of the Lord Jesus when we are gathered together to him. So that's number two, the coming uh, as our Messiah, as an infant, uh, growing into our Savior, a full-grown man dying on the cross, all that Jesus did. He left. We know that he will return uh, and call us up together with him where we will join him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then he's coming to the earth yet again. But on that occasion, it's not our gathering to him, it's our returning with him, right? So he's making sure that we understand which coming of our Lord he's referring to. Are you still with me? Listen, there, there's, it, it's sad to me because there are so many people who are so confused about these things, and, and, and there shouldn't be confusion, but remember what Jesus told us, don't let your heart be troubled, don't, don't be deceived, don't uh, let your heart be confused. We shouldn't be confused about these things. What happens when we're confused about these things? Well, first of all, it gives the devil an advantage over us. We, we, we're unable to confidently move forward. We don't know what to expect. We, we never feel like we're, we're uh, you know, on, on sure footing, so to speak. And, and, and even when it comes to like when the rapture of the church is going to take place, uh, it's amazing to me how many different people have different opinions about this. Now listen, some of you know uh, my background. Um, I have background in so many different denominations, and I love uh, you know, the, the different uh, portions, if you will, of the body of Christ. Um, I, was, I was raised uh, uh, Southern Baptist, um, I, I spent a lot of time in the Assemblies of God. Thank God for our Pentecostal brothers, our Church of God brothers. I was on staff in the Church of God Church. Um, I have heavy, heavy influences uh, from teachers like Brother Copeland and, and Brother Hagen, Brother Caps, um, and then you know some of them, Brother Moore, that second generation of those uh, Word of Faith teachers. I'm so thankful, um, you know, for them. We, of course, are a non-denominational uh, church here at Heritage. And so you've got all these d- different thoughts and beliefs, but even then, it's, it's rare that you find somebody who, who is confident on, on when all this is going to take place, when it's not that hard to figure out, amen, it's not that hard to look at the scriptures and understand these things if, now hear me out, please, if you understand the different, I'm going to use a big word on you, ready, the different dispensations or the different seasons uh, remember Jesus talked about being able to discern the times and, and so to, to know what time it is. Let, let me give you, can I give you another, is it okay if I just talk to you for a few minutes this morning? Let, can I give you another example of this? Um, Jesus, at, on one occasion, he said these words. He said, there are people standing here now. So not talking about us. G- imagine Jesus, you know, um, standing in front of a group of people and he said there are people standing right here with us now who will not die before they see the kingdom coming in power okay now what a lot of people thought jesus meant by that was 
that there were people who were alive when Jesus was alive who would not die before Jesus returned because it's, it's, it's one of these things that, that needs to be corrected in so many people in the body of Christ. If we hear anything about heaven or the kingdom of heaven, we automatically think uh, streets of gold, pearly gates, uh, big houses, you know, no tears, no sickness, no dying, all these other things. We don't understand you know, what Jesus was talking about there. Jesus came to this earth to bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth with him. And so there were a lot of folks, and that's where even some of these errors that he's correcting by the Holy Spirit in the church at Thessalonica, because, you know, they're like, well, you know, Jesus said <laughs> that uh, there would be people who heard him speak that wouldn't die before he returned. That's not what he said, okay? But that's, that was their understanding of it. And so, let me give you an example. Jesus said this, If you see me casting out devils with the finger of God, it can only mean one thing. The kingdom of heaven has come upon you. The kingdom of heaven is here, right? So, we get confused upon about the kingdom of heaven, like when we go to heaven, uh, versus the kingdom of heaven here upon the earth, and each one of us who've been born again uh, being citizens of that kingdom. And so because mistakes are made and, and confusion exists where those things are concerned, it tends to carry over in, in, into these other kinds of things when it comes to you know, Jesus' return, when he's going to return. You know, when the Bible talks about it, it being very hard and the very elect being deceived and all, all these other things, and, and because we don't understand these different brackets of time that have been already been established by God before the foundation of the world, and, and, you know, like, for instance, we don't, we don't live in the days of the Old Testament. You do realize that was a season. It was a predetermined period of time that Father God established to serve His specific purposes concerning you and me and His eternal plans for us and for the universe that He created. But that, that purpose of the Old Testament, the sac- animal sacrifices, the law of Moses, the, 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 those covenants, all those things... We learn from that, we study that, it has tremendous value and worth and importance to us, but we don't live in that season anymore. That season changed. It faded out with John the Baptist and it faded in with Jesus himself. As John the Baptist decreased, Jesus increased, and now here we are. It's a new day. Are you with me? You do know that things will not always be as they are right now on this planet. There is another season coming. There is another day coming. Amen? Amen. And it's, it's, it's a day like, un, like no, none other. You know, it's like Brother Keith Moore says, you know, we don't know what it's like to, to run through the jungle barefooted without getting briars in your feet. But that day's coming, my brother, my sister. That day's coming. Amen. But it's not yet. So we, we are in a very unique bracket and season of time. And, and what I'm trying to get to this morning, I've, I've spent so much time on this opening part, but I want to help orient you here. What I'm ultimately wanting you and, and me to understand and what I think the Holy Spirit is wanting us to understand is what is our part in this season? What is it that we're supposed to be doing during this time? Amen. All right, let me praise God. Let's keep going here. So he says, let no one deceive you by any means. Verse 3, 
For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. Okay? So the falling away here is such a misleading translation. Look it up in Greek dictionaries. It means departure. Departure. So the assumption then was that he's talking about people departing from the faith. And so departing from the faith, this means a great falling away of believers. And so this is how we wind up with this translation. And, and, it, and it steers the, the whole uh, purpose even of, of these verses uh, away from what was originally intended, if that's how you understand what he's saying to us here. He's saying that, that the church, you and me, born-again believers, I'm not talking about a building when I say the church. Are you with me this morning? I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. We are members of the body of Christ. We are the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. We are members of the church, which doesn't mean we have our name on a card in a filing cabinet somewhere in a church office. It means we've been born again and we are bone of His bone. We are flesh of His flesh. We represent Him. He speaks through us. He breathes through us. He touches people through us. He ministers to this world through us. He shines His light through us. We are His body. The head of the church does nothing in the earth without his body and he will not consider it over until every enemy becomes his footstool he didn't say till every enemy is under his chin he said till every enemy is under his feet and until the enemies of God are under your feet they're not under the body of Christ and as far as Jesus is concerned there's still work to do amen 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 so he's talking about his body And he's saying here that his body is this great restraining force. That we are hindering the devil's plans for this earth. Because in the same way that Father God has a plan for this planet, Satan also has a plan for this planet. And he is trying to dominate this planet with darkness. And there's going to come a day in the future where he's literally going to think he has succeeded. There's going to come a day when the Antichrist rules this world... Are you hearing me? And he's going to think that he finally ha- has accomplished what he has set out to accomplish, the very thing that, that, that he allowed into his heart that caused him to be removed from his position in heaven. I'm talking about formerly known as Lucifer, now known as Satan or as Diabolos or as the devil, okay? And so he think, he's going to think that he's finally pulled it off, that he's finally accomplished it. But according to 2 Thessalonians, this is when Jesus will return with the church and destroy him with the breath of his mouth. Okay, now, that day hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. Amen? Now, we have spent so much time, more time than I thought we would, but we have spent so much time on establishing who this is that restrains. And I'm not going to re-preach last Sunday's sermon. Some people say it's Jesus. Some people say it's the Holy Spirit. Some people say it's the body of Christ. I told you last week that it's yes, it's all of those. That we are the body. Jesus can't leave, Jesus can't be removed from this planet without removing his body. And the Holy Spirit can't be pulled out of the earth without pulling you and me out of the earth because his Holy Spirit and our born-again spirits have become one spirit. So when he's talking about that which hinders, that which restrains being taken away. He's talking about Jesus, yes, body of Christ, that's you and me. Holy Spirit, yes, again, he's in us 
And Jesus said when he comes to live in you, he'll be in you forever. So the Holy Spirit can't be removed from here without removing us. The body of Christ, Jesus, the body of Christ can't be removed from here without removing us. So any way you look at it, no matter what opinion you have of these things, it all leads back to we as the body of Christ are holding back the enemy. We are preventing him from doing what he wants to do here on this planet. Now, let, let's, when I say take a little side journey, I, it's all a part of this, but there's, there's something here that's more than just interesting information. Jesus found himself in the Scriptures. Jesus found the parts of the Old Testament that were talking about him. And he announced to the world that the one the prophet was talking about now stood before them. In Isaiah, when he talked about the Spirit of the Lord being upon the Messiah to do all of these wonderful works amongst God's people. Jesus read that in every synagogue he went to. He read it out loud. He sat down in a seat reserved for the Messiah. And he said, today, everything necessary for all of this to be done in your life is right here among you. He found himself in the Scriptures. And it's very important for you to find yourself in the Scriptures. My friend, Jesus is in here. But guess what? You're in here also. Things that reveal your true identity. Things that reveal your true purpose. Things that reveal your assignment. Things that reveal your worth. I'm not talking about how this world sees you. I'm not even talking about what your mama thinks about you. I'm talking about what your Creator Father has said about you. What He has said about your potential. What He has said about your ability, your gift, your authority, your power, your talents. All of these things. Amen. And so we have to find ourselves in here. We have to understand the parts of this Bible that are talking about you and me. And they're talking about what we're here for and what what we're here to do. Because we were created with an eternal purpose. We have been given a destiny in our Father's kingdom. And it is critically important for you and for me and for us to understand what those assignments actually are. Jesus made some very important... Okay, so we're back up and running. Thank you, sister. Amen. Let me get over there. Hallelujah, because I want to put some of this up on the screen. Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody good this morning? Y'all blessed? Amen. So, Jesus announced in Luke 4 and John 8... We're not going to take time to read all these verses, but I'll just kind of break it down for you. One of the first things that Jesus said is that he knew where he came from. Jesus knew where he came from. The second thing that Jesus said was that he knew who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was. I'm sorry, he knew who he was, duh. Jesus knew who he was. Obviously, he knew where he was. Jesus knew where he came from. Jesus knew who who he was. I'm talking about his identity. He knew he was the Messiah. He knew that. Amen. He knew where he came from. He knew who he was. He knew his origin. He understood his origin. He understood his identity. How about this? Jesus knew where he was going. 
Jesus knew where he, where he was going. You'll find this in John the 8th chapter where the religious establishment, the leaders of the religious establishment are applying pressure to Jesus. They're, they're, they're trying to tell him that what he's saying has no merit, what he's saying is bogus, what he's saying carries no weight because he's just a, 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 you know, some carpenter from Nazareth you know, that's uh, you know, motivated a lot of people and, and enthused a lot of people, but, but basically he's a nobody. And Jesus says, listen, I know where I came from. I know who I am and I know where I am going. All right. Then in Luke 4, we've already mentioned this. Jesus also knew why he was here. Jesus knew why he was here. Now, these are very important things for you and me to understand. And it's sadly missing in so many people's lives. Do you realize how many people are alive right now on planet Earth who have no idea where they came from? The best answer this world's been able to give them is that, is that absolutely nothing blew up one day and after eons and eons of time, uh, they, they just kind of all developed, evolved, that, that somehow we came out of the primordial soup and, and it's all such a mystery, but what a wonderful mystery it is and, and evolution has designed it this way and, and, and the universe has chosen this and all these other things. Anything that the world can do to deny the existence of a, of a creator, of an intelligent designer. Do you realize how many people on this planet, they have no idea who they are. They're clueless when it comes to their true identity. They're clueless when it comes to where they're going, when, when, when their life ends, or when this world, as we understand it and know it right now, uh, is no more. And then all of that translates into they have no idea why they're here. Listen, you, you owe it to God, you owe it to yourself, and you owe it to your fellow man to find answers to these four things. For you to, to understand these things for yourself. I am convinced that you cannot live your best life if you do not know these things for yourself. It's, it's the answers to these four thoughts. It's you knowing these things for yourself that provide the greater context for your life. If you don't know where you came from, you have no context to know who you are. You have no context to know where you're going. And, and you certainly have no context to understand why you're here. And yet deep inside of humanity, we know there seems to be a greater purpose. There has to be a greater purpose. How many times have you or, or someone you know had a close brush with death and words come out of their mouth something like this, there must be a reason for me to still be here. In other words, somewhere inside of us, we, we, we know instinctively, intuitively that there's a greater reason, a greater purpose, a greater destiny for our lives. But yet so so few people have any idea what that purpose or destiny actually is. So again, we're, we're talking about context. Amen. So, you know, when we say context, if you just take, you know, one sentence out of a story, you have, you have no idea what that story is about. You, you have no idea what the plot is. You have no idea. It's, it's like joining a, a two-hour movie, uh, you know, about an hour into it. You're just left trying to figure it out, try to, you know, who are the good guys, who are the bad guys, what, what is the purpose of all of this? Is this a thriller? Is this a drama? Is this a comedy? We have no idea. And, and when it comes to people's lives, life was functioning on this planet long before any of us entered stage right. Are you hearing me? And so we just kind of were, came to on this planet one day about four or five years old. 
And, and now we're trying to figure all these things out. Because the Bible says the way of a man's not found within him. But we've got to understand this. We've got to know where we came from, who we are, where we're going, and why we are here. I could simplify this by saying it this way. Jesus knew his role. Jesus knew his role. Now, when we say Jesus knew his role, your role means your place, your part, your assignment in the overall organization or plan. I'm not just talking about your role like in, in a movie or a play. That's often where we, we hear that term used, like an actor playing a role, okay? But I'm talking about that in a, in a, in a larger sense, all right? So your role means your place, your part, your assignment in the overall organization or plan, And so the reality of it is this, and this is good news. Are you hearing me? You have a role to play in all of these things. You have a very important part in these things because we have a very important part in these things. Let me say it again. You ready? You have, as an individual, a very important part in these things because we have, as as a collective whole, have a very important part in them as well. Now, you still with me? Let's do this for a second. Praise God. A practical understanding. This is what I put in my notes. We need a practical understanding of we, we and you in all of this. All right? So simply put, we means a group of individuals. Or we could say it this way. We means a group of yous. All right? My, uh, my dear uh, grandmother, my mother's uh, mom, Mimi, um, some of you who are here many years ago, you, you remember Mimi, amen, one of a kind, praise God. And um, Mimi, because she was part of the family, she had some of the, you know, uh, how do you say this, uh, inside information as to what all it takes to uh, actually, you know, run a church or, you know, the administrative, the maintenance, you know, all these other things. And, um, and so Mimi, you know how moms are, you know, they're always trying to, uh, you know, make it better. And um, so when, you know, she would say, well, uh, Brenda, you know, why don't we do this? And mom would say, well, I'd love to, mother, but we'll probably need to do that another day. Um, you know, me and David are going down to clean the church or, you know, something like that, you know. And, um, and so Mimi, Mimi had this saying. She would always say, well, just let the church take care of that. Just let, let the church do that, Brenda. Why don't you just let the church fix, fix that family a meal? Why don't you just let the church help that lady with her, uh, you know, broken down car? You see what I'm saying? And so she would say that. She would say that all the time. And finally one day my mother just looked her in the face and she says, she says to her mother, Mother, who do you think the church is? Right? In other words, it's very easy for us to, um, you know, think in, in terms of the third person, you know, when it comes to the church. My brother, my sister, look around this room. We are, we are the church. And the reality of it is this. 
we collectively cannot accomplish more than the yous are willing to individually contribute. Are you, are you see what I'm saying here? This idea that because, you know, we, we all are, are a part of an organization, my, my brother, my sister, the strength of that organization is not necessarily determined by how many people are part of it, but it's how many people are willing to, to contribute. And by contribute, I'm not just talking about money. I'm, I'm talking about time and, 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 and talent and, and priorities, treasure, th- these kinds of things. Are, are, you, are you following what I'm saying? So when our Heavenly Father... He is, of course, the master of everything. But he is the master of knowing you as an individual, but also knowing you as a part of the body, the collected whole. In other words, you're not just, you know, a a numbered citizen in his kingdom, like a social security number to the United States of America, okay? You're not just, um, uh, you know, this, this uh, nameless face, you know, in a multitude of people. He knows you as an individual. Let me tell you how, how deeply and intimately he knows you. He knows how many hairs are on your head now, right now. He sang over you while you slept last night. So our God is a God of the you, but he's also a God of the we. So he doesn't just know you and and relate to you and and speak to you and communicate with you as an individual. He absolutely does that. But at the same time, he understands and sees you as a part of the body, as a part of the collected whole. Amen. And as an individual, he has given you a specific assignment, a specific part, a specific role to play um, in the, uh, the organizational whole, the team, if you will, that is his body. I think this is one of the reasons why I enjoy watching college football. I'm not so much of a fan of the pros, but I like watching college football because of the, of the strategies and the, and the in other words, it's a team sport. If you've ever played a team sport, right, baseball, football, whatever, you understand that you're a part of the team, but each member of the team on the field has an individual assignment. And if every person on the field does their individual assignment to the best of their ability, then the team has an opportunity to, to be successful and ultimately win. Are you following me? So we can understand that when it comes to natural, physical things. My brother, my sister, the same thing is true when it comes to the body of Christ. Father God sees every one of us as individuals, and individually you have a specific role. You have been given a part. There's something that He created you to do that He's never created another human being to do exactly the way He created you to do it. You have something to offer Him that no other human being that's ever lived or ever will live after you should Jesus tarry His return to the earth. You have something to do, something to offer, something to contribute that no one else has ever had or will have. Amen. This is how much He loves you. But if you hadn't figured it out by now, 
life separated from the collective whole, life disconnected from the body of believers that you're supposed to be connected with is not very enjoyable. As a matter of fact, it it leads to misery and ultimately an inferior life. It's because we weren't designed to be alone. He said it's not good for you to be alone. He created you as an individual. He created you with unique talents, gifts, and abilities. But it's not until you connect with the group that there's opportunity for you in Ephesians, Paul called it your supply. It's when you offer your supply. And when you do your part, when you play your role, when you uh, fulfill your assignment that as it relates to the, the body of Christ, the Bible says this is like connective tissue. It's like tendons and ligaments. He's using the uh, analogy again of, the, of, of, of a physical body. How it's those things that secure the joint in place within the body. And so when you offer your individual supply to the benefit of the rest of the team, rest of the body, this is what knits you in. So many people come to church, but they never feel apart. They, they never feel connected. They, they never feel like they belong. And so they go to another church to see if they could find that sense of connectivity, that sense of belonging there. And they may stay there two or three months or two or three years or, or 10 or 15 years. And then they go to try to find another church because for whatever reason, they never felt connected there. Listen to me, please. There is a group of people. There is a tribe of men and women on planet earth that you are supposed to be connected with but you can find that tribe and if you never offer your supply to the tribe you will never feel like an insider you will never feel connected you'll never feel like you belong there that sense of belonging that you long for father god put that in you that's a part of you that's how when when you do offer that supply the reward of doing that gives you that sense of satisfaction that sense of belonging to something bigger than yourself that you were created for and that your soul longs for. Thank you for those amens. So here's the bottom line of it, and I know we're about out of time. You are a hindrance to the forces of darkness. You are a threat to the devil himself. Now, you say, well, Pastor Mark, I thought it was the church that was the great restraining factor. I thought it was the church that was, was, was preventing and hindering the devil from doing all the devil wants him to do. Absolutely. But again, who's the church? The church can't be that if, if you're not that as an individual. We, we, we can't be, now we can accomplish more working together than we can individually, but if, if collectively we are a threat to the forces of darkness, then individually we are. So what does it say in James chapter 4, verse 7 about you as an individual? Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from the church. Is that what it says? That he'll flee from uh, the Pentecostals or the Baptists or the Methodists, the denominations. Is that what it says? No, it says to you as an individual, if you will submit yourself to God, if you will resist the devil. See, this is why the devil's been trying since you were a small child to break down your ability to resist. Your ability to resist an Oreo cookie, your ability to resist another television program, your ability to resist gossiping, your ability to resist cigarettes, your ability to, to, to resist alcohol, your ability to resist Coca-Cola, your ability to resist sugar and carbohydrates, donuts, anything. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He wants, he wants 
your resistance whittled and chipped away at because every human being born on planet earth has the ability within them because of their rank assigned by God to put the devil on the run. Amen. And it's through your ability to resist him. And so the devil starts before you ever know you're on planet earth trying to break down your ability to resist. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. Now, I'm going to finish right here, but let me, let me say one last thing, okay? When it comes to what... The, here's, I know some of you may be new to the study, so let me thank you, Holy Spirit, for prompting me. All right. I made a statement three weeks ago now that coronavirus and and then everything that's going on right now in the world around us has certainly had lots of collateral damage. But the number one target, you don't have to agree with me, just hear me out though, please. The number one goal from the enemy when it comes to things like coronavirus, and we're going to use coronavirus specifically, is to weaken the church to weaken the church okay because a weak church is of little to no threat to the powers of darkness that are trying to destroy this country okay you say pastor mark i i I don't i don't i mean i know that it's probably affected the church but i don't know no art so hear me out then Can governments stop the devil? Can politics stop the devil? Can banks stop the devil? How how about um, concrete and steel fortresses? Can concrete and steel fortresses stop the devil? Can negotiations stop him? Ignoring him? Can ignoring him stop him? Can modern medicine stop him? Can technology stop him? My brother, my sister, I offer to you that there is absolutely nothing on planet earth that can stop the devil other than the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm not saying the devil doesn't want to weaken governments or cause chaos in politics or undermine the financial structures of of, of our world and our, our economy and our nation. But all of that, my friend, is a collateral effect for him. He takes great pleasure in people suffering financially, starving, misery. These are the things that he wallows around in like a pig wallows in slop. But if you think that that's what all of this that we've been going through over the last several months is about, then he has deceived you because government and politics and money and medicine and technology, none of that can stop him. He knows it and we better know it. But there is one institution on planet earth that is a threat to him. There is one group of people on planet earth who can thwart his plans, who can submit themselves to their savior and resist him and he will run from them in terror. And my brother and my sister, That is you, that is me, that is we. Amen. Amen.
Stand with me. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Courts, thank you, Lord. He said courts can't stop them. It's, I'm not saying this Supreme Court thing's not important. It's important. It's important. But my brother, my sister, you, you, you can put the most godly, spirit-filled, spirit-led men and women on that court that would, that would make rulings that we would all in here agree with that line up with the Word of God. All right? But there's a whole lot of stuff in our country, in our world today, that's illegal that, that laws don't stop. Last time I checked, it's illegal to murder somebody. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So even the judicial system can't, can't stop the devil. Legislation can't stop him. Rules can't stop him. Punishment, punishing people for breaking rules can't stop him. You can stop him. You can bind him and cast him out. So do you see why? He's wanting you deceived. Do you see why he's wanting you confused? Do you see why he wants he doesn't ever want you to find out where you came from, who you are, where you're going, and why you're here? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for this morning together, Lord. Thank you for what you're saying to us. And Lord, not just to us in this room. Lord, there's a lot of folks that are watching us right now online. And I thank you, Lord, that you're speaking to them. And I thank you, Father, that they're going to speak to their friends and, 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 and other people about these things, Lord. Maybe even share this sermon, this, this word, Father. Because, Father, this is the thing that you're, you're breathing on right now for this family of faith, for this part of your body in the earth it's not the time father for us to be hiding it's time for us to be rising up it's time father for us to put our trust in you not in men not in survival mode father lord not these mindsets of 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 victim and 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 brokenness and and pitifulness lord that's not who we are we're the offspring of greatness. And I thank you, Father, that you put greatness in each one of us. And I thank you, Father, that you've instructed us. You've instructed us. And we're learning, Lord, what you're telling us to do, and we're following you. And the voice of another we will not follow. Father, thank you for your word that's been received, Lord, now in this place and online. I thank you, Father, that your word will not be returned back to you empty and void. But it will accomplish, Lord, what you've sent it forth to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God.